some big things coming up. Hope that uh, uh, you will uh, remember those and, and make sure you get connected to those things. Uh, so, uh, we're in the Sermon on the Mount and uh, in the Lord's Prayer, and Jesus is teaching us how to pray, and I'm learning. How about you? Are you learning something about how to pray? Um, yeah, I definitely am. Um, so we're looking at the second half of the Lord's Prayer. I wanted you to see the whole thing together. Sort of divides up into three parts. We said it was there's the address here, and then you have the uh, the first part, which is our concern for God's name and for His kingdom and for His will. So our concern for His ultimacy. And then we have the second part, which is, or the third part, our concern for our own well-being uh, within the context uh, of, of, of the kingdom. So now it's really helped me to think about these are the kinds of things that a kingdom heart is concerned about. Uh, and what you can see is when you come into the kingdom, it changes your concerns and your desires, your hopes. You are now in, in a partnership with God to see that his rule manifested prime in your life is carried out in the world. So you're partnering with him. So I got Three quotes that have really helped me process just this out loud. I'm just going to give them to you. Uh, they're, they're all short if you're writing. So the first one is Dallas Willard. We've said it before, but it has really helped me think through how I pray. And that is uh, he defines prayer as talking to God about what we're doing together. So uh, it's a good question to ask. Do I have anything to talk to God about? Because the first part of this prayer is me being involved in the things that matter to him. So what does that look like in my life? Well, it turns out there's plenty. And so something I've been trying to do, and this might be something for you. Like I've never viewed the Lord's Prayer as something that i got to do every day or that I have to think about. Every day, or I wasn't really sure exactly how to use it other than to recite it. And so, what I've tried to do now is at least once or twice, twice a week, go through every line in your quiet time and ask God, Is there something here I need to be thinking about related to my life? Just any line here right now to make sure that, first of all, I have concerns that you have. And we talked about last week how to do that in the first set. Uh, and how each one of them fits into my world. So whether I'm wrestling with a difficulty or an issue or some mindset I can't get out of, you know how you get locked in a mindset? And even though you know it's not the right mindset, you can't get out of it? Or uh, maybe you have an expectation or a desire or you know, thought process, it doesn't matter what it is. Something in there and you go, man, I need to be thinking about that. Like, for instance, if you go home, if, you, if tomorrow morning you wake up and you start praying and you get to the first line and it says, 
hallowed be your name. Remember what we said about that? There were two pieces to that. Is there purity in my life? And how do people get to a place, if I care that not just me, but other people learn to see God and lift him up? Then I got, maybe it means I got to invite somebody to Easter. That practical. God, I'm a little scared. Or maybe at that moment, God puts somebody in your mind to invite. I'm just saying, that's how it works. You go by the line and you go, what do I need to do about that? How do I, can I say it all day long, hallowed be your name? That would be really great, God. But I don't see myself doing anything to see that happen. That's not how the prayer works. All right? Uh, So it really helps to do that. Talk to God about what you're doing together. So uh, another one is Jonathan Edwards said, prayer is really just the voice of faith. Uh, It's the same thing as saying this. Prayer is my spiritual life made audible. My spiritual life made audible. So now I'm going to take the concerns that are really in my life that are really spiritual issues and verbalize them to God. You know how talking things out sometimes is very revealing? You, you know the stupid stuff you think in your own head and then it comes out of your mouth? Yeah, it doesn't really sound as smart as I thought it did. Uh, and maybe, and, and it sounds like, I think that sounds like I'm being stubborn. I think that sounds like uh, I really just want to do what I want to do. Uh, And so what happens in that conversation, hearing yourself out loud, is your spiritual life now becomes audible, and when it becomes audible, it becomes something you can actually interact with God about. You think about that. I can interact with God about that. So it's the voice of faith. And then a commentator actually on Luke's version of this garland is... uh, he, he says uh, that the Lord's prayer functions like a tuning fork. Something else that I've really loved. So a tuning fork, which you don't see them a lot anymore. They have different, little different gadgets for how instruments get tuned. Uh, and, but a tuning fork, was just, it's really just designed to make sure everybody's in tune. Um, Gail, um, for Christmas, bought me a karaoke machine. Okay, that's right. I've said that out loud. I'd like to keep it in here if we, if we could. Because I love to sing. I don't need to sing for anyone, so I'm not going anywhere to do karaoke. I'm going to do it in my own house. I don't need to sing for you. I don't need you to hear me. Uh, but when I first got it set up, which was a little bit of a process, you know, then we start putting on the songs that I like to sing. And I'm sitting there with Mike and Gail, who happen to have this, like, this built-in tuning fork. Like, they're, they're just pitch monsters. Uh, 
And I can, and I can tell when I'm singing because it sounds really good in my head. All I got to do is look at their faces. And I know, all right, something's not right. All I got to do is look at their face. And you know, if the prayer is, if the prayer functions like a tuning fork, then when you're praying, all of a sudden you, you can find yourself, this can happen to you and it should happen to you. You can find yourself, okay, I think I'm a little out of tune. Sounded really good in my head, but this prayer is helping me get a little bit more on the right pitch where God wants me to be because I thought I was okay here. I love that image. Being out of tune is a miserable sound and I'm sure God can hear when I'm off. When I'm verbalizing my prayer, it allows God to hear when I'm off and I can see his face a little bit and go, ooh, that didn't sound that great, did it? So last week we looked at what it means, you know, to, to care about God's ultimacy. That's the, really the whole second part of this and it's his name, his kingdom, and his will. And then we get to this one, you know, where he says, give us this day our daily bread, forgive us our debts, as we also for, have forgiven our debtors, and lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. These are the next three things that we have to deal with. And I, uh, um, you have to be concerned about your own well-being, but these concerns are even shaped by the fact that you're connected to Jesus and you're in the kingdom and he's the king of your life. So even your own concerns, which are important to God, as we're going to see, are shaped by the fact that you're in the kingdom. Uh, and by that, I mean simply that Jesus is king of your life. If he's king over your life, then certainly he shapes the issues of your life. And we've got physical ones here with give us this day our daily bread. We've got relational one, which is forgiveness both ways. I need it from God and I need to offer it to people in my life. And then the last one has to do with evil and sin and morality. And so these are three concerns God wants me to have when I pray. He does want me to be concerned about my physical needs. He does want me to be concerned about my relationships. And he does want me thinking about the possibility that I might go off track today. Those three things need to be a part of my prayer life. I've got to incorporate them in somehow. So these are the topics he wants us to interact with him about. Now, forgiveness... Uh, is the, is the second one here. And it's really important, and we know it, because in verses 14 to 15, Jesus is going to bring up, for, he's going to highlight the forgiveness one. So what we're going to do is we're going to save the forgiveness one for Jesus' comments about it right after. So today, we're just going to deal with the bread issue and the evil issue. And we'll come back to the Forgive me, just mention a quick thing about nothing. Nothing too crazy. So let's start in. So tomorrow morning, you get up, and you're going to pray through every line, and you get to this line. Give us this day our daily bread. Let's talk about it. Um, in um, the way this is actually written 
is the word earth is the last word in the, in the first part. So earth sets up the whole next section, which is important because it now brings us to this planet where God wants his will to be done. And if you live on this planet, then you have certain needs. And the planet requires certain things for us to function in. And, they pl- and, it, and earth plays a part. No earth, no bread. So this is God saying, you know, I know where you guys are and what you have to deal with. This is how I want you to think about those things. So you think about earth and bread, at least, especially at first, living on this planet. You've got certain processes and resources for bread to hit your table. I mean, bread doesn't, loaves of bread don't grow. You've got you to plant it. You've got to plow, you gotta plow, plant, nurture, get it, process it, use it. Then you get bread. That's a lot of steps before it gets to your table. God's well aware of that. It has to be made. And this forces the idea that even though there is a lot involved in the process before it hits my table, ultimately I know who it comes from. You see, I can work my way all the way back to this very, very simple thing and realize, you know, there's the sun, there's the planet, there's rain, there's the earth, there's the ground, there's, there's human involvement, there's people that have to get involved. It's a really big process. You can go to any point and say, without that, we can't have it. And here's God saying, forget all the processes and realize I'm in charge of all of it. I'm in charge of all of it. And it's even bigger than you imagine, the bread that reaches your table. Now, the other thing about this is bread was extremely basic. You had it at every meal in Jesus' day. So it was uh, very accessible. I mean, even though there's a lot of processes involved, it wasn't the kind of thing that you go, I don't know where we're going to get bread. I mean, anybody seen any bread? Nobody's doing that. And so when you read this, you're like, this is a very simple thing. Um, Maybe it's too simplistic. Should anybody really be asking for bread? Especially in our day, you can walk down aisles. And there's 4,753,000 different kinds of bread. I mean, one of the worst things in the world is to walk down the bread aisle. I don't know. You can almost get a meal in bread. It's amazing. Okay? But these days, the truth is, not only is there all kinds of bread and it's everywhere, who's praying for bread? That's kind of what you think about. And then in today's world, I'll be honest, if the topic of bread came up in my prayer, it would be this. Help me not to eat bread today. <laughs> Wouldn't that be yours? God, please do not give me bread today. 
And how many times are you sitting at a great restaurant if you don't eat bread? Like, I can't remember the last time I've had bread. Okay, so it, it's a sad thing. It is. Go ahead. You can weep for me. You can go like, you can sigh. Just don't eat it. Well, uh, yeah, going to restaurants and it's some of some restaurants you go into, that's their main feature. Like you go to Shady Oaks Barbecue over there. You've been to Shady Oaks Barbecue? They bring out that loaf of bread. Ah. Uh. And my prayer is, get that thing out of here, God. I can't see it. I can't look at it. So what do we do with this? What is this, what is this concern? How do we deal with this? Well, bread stands for much more than just bread. You need to know that when you're, when you're reading this. Uh, this is basically God saying, I know you need to put things in your mouth to function. I know you got to eat to live. Okay, I see your... And this is you saying, man, I see your hand and even the basics that come across my table. Uh, very easy, without thinking. And it rec- I recognize my absolute dependence upon you for my physical needs. Which, by the way, is very, very easy to take for granted. Let me tell you what happens to the person who doesn't pray this line. You do take things for granted. When I was in Romania, probably saw some video footage of us loading vans all with, with because you got people, people gathered in a place with nothing, and you got to feed them every day. Imagine 80 people, 80, 80 women plus their kids every day have to be fed. They have no resources. They're not going out to get anything. Everything they have, you got to go get it and bring it to them. They're just the basics. And there are things you can provide for yourself. Do I really need to pray for that, God? I mean, I can get bread anytime I want, anywhere I want. Okay, well, look at the real spiritual danger in this, not, in this fact not being a part of your prayer life. And I want to take you to Deuteronomy to do it. So here's God who brings Israelite. Deuteronomy, you know, right before they come into the promised land, God's going to remind them of some things. The Lord your God's going to bring you into a good land. It's going to have brooks and water, fountains, springs, going to be flowing over valleys and hills, wheat and barley, vines, fig trees, pomegranates, uh, olive oil, honey, a land in which you will eat bread without scarcity, in which you will lack nothing. Stones are iron in whose hills you can dig copper and you shall eat and be full. And you shall bless the Lord your God for the good land that he's given you. But take care. Lest you forget the Lord your God by not keeping his commandments and his rules and his statutes which I commanded you today. How would that happen? How does a full stomach? How, does a, how, does, how do physical resources taken for granted jeopardize my spirituality. Lest when you have eaten and you're full and you've built good houses and you live in them and when you get your herds and your flocks multiply, your silver and gold multiply, 
All that you have is multiplied. Your heart, your heart can be lifted up. And you forget the Lord your God who brought you out of the land of Egypt and out of the house of slavery. And then, beware. Lest you say in your heart, my power and the might of my own hand has gotten me this. You shall remember the Lord your God, for it is he who gives you the power to get wealth. That he may confirm his covenant. Now, this is, prof- this is really profound. Uh, and I don't think it has to be belabored. I just think it's very, very easy, and this line reminds us, to think to ourselves, especially in America, we don't really need God for this because we can do it ourselves and because we have plenty. That attitude is spiritually dangerous. One way to combat it is to pray every day, God, I cannot believe what I have. And while I know there's a hundred earthly processes and I'm involved in them that got that here, ultimately I know I have nothing without you. And I would venture to say that everyone in this room would probably say we've missed that a little bit. It's an important prayer. Now, uh, here's another thing about this prayer, this, this line. It keeps us, here's some things that I think come out of Deuteronomy 8, but are really in this text here. This, uh, well, no, here. This daily, you know, the day thing. This day idea. So the first thing that when I pray this is, because I'm praying for today's stuff. This keeps me grounded in the present, which most of us do not live in the present. Our minds are uh, way ahead of God. Uh, And I can get ahead of him. And when I get ahead of him, I get very overwhelmed because I can't picture him there. I can only picture the stress and the issues and the problems that I have when I'm thinking about. But if I'm just in the moment today and I recognize What I need for today keeps me a little more grounded in the present. And we are not very grounded in the present. The other thing that will happen when I pray this prayer, because this is a necessity. We're talking about basics here. Uh, You know how sometimes you feel a little selfish asking for other things that are not really bread? You know? Well, when they come out of your mouth, it may be that God confirms in your heart that's what you ought to have. It may be that God says, all right, you're overdoing it there, big boy. And you can hear it when you say it. This is is sort of the idea that, you know, you, you, you sit around and you pray for that job that God finally got you and you got it. And then you didn't use your money right. You didn't, you weren't giving. You didn't think about the kingdom. The job just became something that gave you things. This is what it looks like. 
when you're desperate for something and you do get it and you're grateful to God that you got it, but then pretty soon you take that job for granted. You're not really using your money that great. You're not really being generous. You're not even... That's what it looks like. I got that thing from God. And then I pretty much just use it for myself. So some of the ludicrous things, luxuries that we ask for, they make, God may want them to have, God may want you to have them so you can use them. But you're not. This prayer will confront that in you. It'll make sure your feet are in the present and it'll make sure that what God has given you, you recognize is from him and then you recognize it's not ultimately yours. And I don't care how secure you think it is. It could be gone tomorrow. Another thing this prayer will do is keep you content with what you do have. And that's another thing we're just not. Our minds are not on the bread that's on our table. Our minds are on the bread that isn't. And we just keep reaching and reaching and reaching. That's who we are. That's how we're wired. In fact, God's going to talk about, the, Jesus is going to bring that whole topic up for, oh, you're going to get sick of it. Okay. This is the whole second half of chapter six. And then it does one more thing, and I really want to hit this. Um, this, is, this is a great line to pray. And so let me, let me show you really why. Uh, obviously, it can help keep me grounded in reality. It can, at times, help me hear that maybe what I'm asking for is just a, a little over the top. Um, but, you know, sometimes... Because we don't pray for those things, we either do it because we already have it or because we feel selfish when we ask for something for ourselves. And, um, and I know this because I feel this angst. Certainly you do too. I'm just not really sure what, I'm, what it's okay to really say out loud to God that I need today. Well, Paul Miller addresses this a little bit, and I want to say something about it that's um, been um, in my mind for a while now. So Augustine, one of the great church fathers, and we'll mention here in a minute, the church fathers really struggled with this line. Um, they thought it was way too basic, and they, must, they thought that maybe that bread has got to be something spiritual because it can't be physical material bread because God, that is not something we should be spending time asking God for. So they really struggled with it. Augustine uh, was one of them. Was, a, was one who did. Uh, and he was very much, you know, when you come to God, you ask, you ask nothing of God you, except for God himself. The only thing you really need is God. You don't even really need bread. You just need God. Well, this is, Jesus is saying this, and he's the same one who said, man shall not live by bread alone. Just a chapter earlier. But now he's saying pray for bread. So Augustine's off a little bit here in his philosophy. And then you had Jonathan Edwards, who said the best gift God can give you is himself. So when you pray, ask for God, not for bread, not for physical needs. They're too trite. And you'll feel that at times. Hey, 
Remember, we've said this all along. I want to keep saying it. You're going to feel funny about a lot of things you pray. That doesn't mean you don't pray. You just deal with the funniness. Deal with it. All right? And so here's what Miller writes about this. To ask nothing of God is to disconnect him from your earthly life. You don't want to do that. And Jesus is making it plain here. I don't want to be disconnected from your dinner table. I don't even want to be disconnected from your dinner table, let alone all the other bigger things that are coming along in your life. Don't disconnect me from your dinner table. So the early church father struggled with this. Calvin comes along. John Calvin comes along and he says, oh, no, 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 no. It's absurd to think God doesn't want you to pray and that them, somehow this is some spiritual bread you're asking for. He says it's literal bread and, in fact, translates it, and I think he's right to understand it this way. Everything necessary for your physical existence is okay to pray for. And he, he mentions things like, obviously, food, health. Good weather, house, wife, children, peace. Those are physical things you just need on the planet. You ask God for them. You bring them up to God. You can ask for God. Your transportation's lousy and you need some transportation. That's a big need. You can ask God for that. You can talk to God about whether it ought to be a how nice the thing ought to be. That's between you and him. Transportation's important. And so, here's what Miller writes. This is what I've been meditating on for three weeks. And I've been tempted to say it for three weeks. And today I get to say it. And I love this, and you'll have to wrestle with it. It's not, it's not perfectly stated but he says this, if we ask nothing of God, we are left adrift in, the evil, in an evil world. This is a great line. It gives me chills. Such a position may feel spiritual because it feels unselfish to not ask for bread or the car you need or health or a, a sunny day. But it is unbiblical because it separates the real world of our desires from God's world. And then he writes this, and this is the line I can't get out of my head. The kingdom of God can't come because it's just floating. In other words, if I don't ask God for anything, and I'm saying your kingdom come, how do I get his kingdom into my world? It just stays up here because he recognizes I do live on earth, and I do have things I got to deal with, and I do need him to help me deal with them, even though they're things that are fairly accessible. And how is the kingdom going to come? Because what am I supposed to do with that bread when I get it? I've got to be kingdom-oriented with that bread. That bread is going to nourish me to be kingdom-minded. 
The gift, whatever he does give me, is going to be needed for me to be useful in the kingdom. If I don't ask for things I need down here, then the kingdom just stays up here and it never reaches my dinner table. And it never leaves my dinner table. And where else is the kingdom going to go than in my daily life? That's where the kingdom comes. You see? Isn't that amazing? The idea that the kingdom can't come because you're so spiritual. You can't pray for things you need. Listen, you can say anything you want to God that you need. It'll sound dumb to you when it needs to. So the kingdom of God cannot exclude my needs or my life. Because God will decide whether it'll fit into my plan, my, your plan, the kingdom, and all that other stuff. He'll decide that. Remember what Bates said. A commentator earlier, I read it. Your needs are not insignificant. They have an important role to play in the governance of the cosmos. If God's kingdom is going to come, it's going to come through the things you want and the things that you need. And you're going to use those things you want and need and ultimately get for the kingdom. Do you see that? There's a direct connection. It matters. Because that's where God's kingdom is playing out. All right. We, we go with the bread thing. We spent way too much time on the bread thing. Spent a lot of time on the bread thing. So I'm not even going to say anything about the forgive us. We'll deal with that coming up, although I will say all three of these have really difficult tensions, and these last two are major. And here comes the last one, and we've got to do it pretty quick. Uh, do not lead us into temptation, but deliver us from evil. This is a, this is a tough one. I've wrestled with it. I know you have too. This is not an easy one to deal with. Uh, but like everything else, I'm very dependent on God. I'm, I'm very dependent on God to survive physically. I mean, if you're not physically here, you can't be in the kingdom. What do you need to be upright and functional? What do you need to be mentally on? What do you need? Sleep. Pray for it. That's the physical side. Now we get to the spiritual one. Because evidently, and maybe you didn't know this, and that's part of what happens in this prayer here, I didn't know how vulnerable I was. I knew I was hungry and I needed bread, but I didn't know how vulnerable I was to temptation. That has slipped my mind, and so it hasn't even come into my prayer life. Perhaps. In other words, God is saying, I'm dependent on you. You're saying to God, I'm dependent on you through my difficulties and my trials. Because I'm, I may get caught up in something I don't want to get caught up in because of what's happening in my life right now. So temptation and trial. Uh, temptation here, deliver us from... Uh, it's, temptation is either... Uh, it, can be, it can be translated two different ways. Temptation or trial. Uh, so it can mean to test or it can mean to tempt. Uh, test you in like a trial kind of a thing or a test. But at the end of the day, temptations are tests. If you're in a temptation, that's a test. But if you're in a test, it's a potential temptation. You see? So the, the, it's both 
really the same. God doesn't really tempt people to do evil, but he puts them in uh, situations occasionally that can become temptations, clearly. What do you think happened with Jesus? I'm going to send you to be tested into the wilderness, and those tests are going to become what? Temptations. That's how tests work. So this is, this is, this is somebody in his right mind spiritually who knows he's vulnerable saying, hey, God, easy on me today with the stuff you lead me to because I know what you bring into my life can make me vulnerable. We're going to see how. Uh, so the odds are every one of us are in some sort of a trial, because you could have translated that trial, and then likely, you know, would result in sin. So some sort of trial I'm in, and every single one of us are in one of some kind. Whether it's playing out in your own head, or whether you got, I mean, all of us, we could all sit around right, for eternity and talk about the problems we have in our lives. Um, and God has allowed him. This is, a, this is a big point of this prayer. This is you saying, because I know God, you test us. I'm asking you. Easy on me. You're easy on me, Lord, today. I'm vulnerable. That's what this prayer is saying. I'm vulnerable. And I know I'm vulnerable, so I need to be praying about the things that are happening in my life. Now, what does that mean when you pray, when you get there and you pray in this line? Uh, um, here's what can happen. But because of what's going on in your life, whatever it is, whatever frustration, miserable, sucker, sucker, sucker thing going on in your life, you got two temptations in those, two big ones. You will justify doing something evil. You'll justify hurting somebody. You'll justify withholding from somebody. You'll justify lying. You'll justify stealing. Or, or, because of what's happening, your faith will weaken. Your faith will weaken. And so what happens is, while you and I are just belly aching about the crisis, God's more worried about what you're going to do in that crisis. We don't even think about what we're going to do in the crisis. We're just so worried about the crisis that we have and trying to get, tell God to get us out of it, but not to, get us, not to get us through without evil. That's not our prayer. This is really, really important because here's what you realize. It's not the trial that's my problem. What is? Evil is. Now, most of us don't pray like evil's our biggest problem. We pray like our circumstances are our biggest problem. And here's Jesus essentially saying, listen, your pain and your suffering, I care about. I'm going to show you that. But at the end of the day, what the worst thing that can happen to you is that your faith fail or that you cross lines, important lines that will damage you and people you love and your and your spiritual life because of, the, because of what you're experiencing. So it appears as if 
And let's, let's just go with it. Because we struggle with, I don't know, does God really lead us into, t- yeah, he leads you into some tough stuff. Hasn't God led you into some tough stuff? Sure he does. And I think it is perfectly fine for you tomorrow morning to wake up and go, Lord, I'm praying this prayer and I'm saying, can you ease up a little bit today? You can pray that. You can pray God. And here's the reason, Lord, because the last thing I want is to do something stupid in that circumstance. Now, it doesn't mean God's not going to bring the circumstance. We could see that over and over. I mean, you're already in them. So he does allow them. But our prayer becomes, all right, God, keep me out of it, please. Tests are hard. Nobody wants them. But if you got me in one, then my prayer changes. Make sure I stand tall here. Make sure I don't blow it here. I'm tempted to blow it here. Or my faith will weaken. So you're either praying this. This is what you pray when you get to this line. God, keep me out of there. Or get me through it without without losing my faith, my mind, or my character. And if you're like me, then most of the time you're praying about the circumstances and not about the potential of faith's failure in them. You see how God has changed our minds about what we need to be concerned about? If you're in the kingdom, oh, you're concerned about the circumstances, but you are more concerned about who you are in them. Uh... So do you remember the prayer? Listen, listen, here, this is so f- fantastic. Look at Simon. Remember when, remember when Simon, Jesus says to Simon, and in, in, uh, this version is so beautiful, Luke's version. Simon, Simon, behold, Satan has demanded to sift you like wheat. He wants you. Satan wants you. And this you, by the way, is Plural even though he's talking to Simon, which means he wants all of you. But I have prayed, look, I've prayed for you. This is Jesus saying, I've prayed for you, because that's the best thing you can do when you're in a set of circumstances and you're tempted to do something you shouldn't and there's somebody wanting you to fail. That your faith not fail. I'm praying for you, Peter. Now, this is Jesus knowing full well this trial's coming for Peter, and there's no getting out of it. So I, I, I don't, I'm not even going to pray, you know, Lord, don't, don't, let, don't let anyone ask Peter if he knows me. Don't let anyone ask Peter if he knows me because Peter's going to blow it. No, 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 no. This is Peter. I'm praying for you. Not that you don't have the trial, but that your faith doesn't fail in it. That's where God's concern is, because that's the worst thing that can happen to you, Peter. And Peter said to him, this is Peter, and this is what it sounds like when we don't pray this. Oh, hey, Lord, (laughs) don't worry about me, I got it. If you're not praying like this, then you're just assume, hey, throw anything at me, I got it. (laughs) Throw anything at me, I got it. It's arrogance. It's arrogance to say, I got it. 
Jesus tells him, no, 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 Peter, you don't know how, you don't know how close you're going to come to having nothing to do with me ever again. That's the first thing. This is a profound statement. You know, um, so here's, here's two realities out of this. Number one, you're going to go through it. You can pray, God, keep me out of it. And have you ever wondered to yourself how many times God has protected you from a situation you, don't, you may not even know? Or maybe you do know. Oh, my gosh, that would have ruined my life. I don't think I could have handled that. I don't. You better believe he's keeping you out of some stuff. But when he does allow it to come into your life, then you're praying a different kind of prayer. Hey, God, worst thing that can happen here is I lose my mind, my faith, or my character. That's how I'm praying. That's a different kind of prayer. And then you have Peter's presumption. Well, how can you be more prepared? How can you be more prepared? Like, that's what you and I are asking. Okay, hey, how can I be more prepared? Well, then we come to... uh, Um, the Lord's Prayer here. Let's see where this is. Remember, Jesus is in Gethsemane. We looked at it last week. This is Matthew 26. He's in Gethsemane with his disciples. He leaves them in one spot and goes a little further, and he prays, my father, if it's possible, here's the prayer that says, Lord, if you can keep me out of this, I'll take it today. That's a great, humble prayer and it recognizes God's sovereignty in the circumstances of my life. If you choose to bring it here, then it must be important and I'm going to take it as important. And the most important thing is that I don't lose my mind, my character, or my faith. I want this cup to pass. Nevertheless, I will do what you want me to do. That's the spirit. That's how it works. And then look at Peter. Here's what really could have helped Peter. He came to the disciples, found them sleeping. What was he supposed to be doing? So could you not watch with me one hour? Watch and pray that you may not enter into the temptation. What does it mean by not enter into it? Peter, it's coming. By enter into it, I don't mean that it's not going to happen. By enter into it, I mean you're going to get there and you're going to lose your mind, your character, your faith if you're not paying attention. You're sleeping and you should be praying. So if you don't pray, you're, you're vulnerable. We're vulnerable anyway. He doesn't even, he doesn't even recognize that his faith could be at stake here. How, because he's sleeping and not praying. If you're praying this prayer, you're going to become very much aware of the possibility of you crossing a line you don't want to cross. But if you're not praying this, that's not on your mind. You remember in the allegory, um, Pilgrim's Progress, John Bunyan is Christian is his name, and he is on this journey to heaven, and he's got to come to the cross, and he meets all these different people along the way. It's a great allegory of the Christian life. And he finally gets to the cross where he unloads his burden of sin, and he leaves the cross, and he's heading back a little ways. And as he goes in Pilgrim's Progress, uh, 
after he comes to the cross, he goes a little bit further and he meets these three characters and they're all asleep. And uh, one of them, his name is Simple. The other one is Sloth. And the other one is Presumption. He wakes them up. I mean, he's on a journey now. He's been invited into the kingdom. He realizes everything is important. And he comes across these three. So he wakes them up. And here's what Simple says. I see no danger. I don't see any problems. Everything looks clear and great to me. That's not humble. Then Sloth says, I just need to sleep a little bit longer. And then Presumption says, and you've got to interpret this, every tub must stand on its own bottom. And that means you just got to handle it yourself. It's Peter's attitude. I got this. Simple sloth and presumption. Jesus is teaching us the role of prayer when we're in trials and temptation. This is why at least once a week, at least once a week in your prayer time, you ought to go through every line and say, where am I vulnerable? What do I need? What's my life look like right now? Is there anything going on in your life right now that's making you vulnerable? Is there anything in your life right now that's weakening your faith a little bit? You feel that? Weakening your resolve? That's the prayer focus. And I'll just close with this. Because I was just thinking, how how do I close this part? Well, here's the facts. We just read Jesus praying the prayer he told us to pray. We have a God who knows exactly what it's like to ask God to remove a temptation, to remove a test. But then to have resolve once he's in it. We see it. And, you know, I, I love to throw this in when, it's, when, it, when it works, and it works so many times that only Christianity has a God who's ever had to pray this prayer. There's no religion. There's no other religion that has a God that's prayed the prayer Jesus is asking us to pray. When we come to him with our prayers, we're talking to somebody who knows exactly what it feels like to be right there. The side, the greatest hope we have of ever being prayerful, really, is the fact that we have a God who's prayed the same prayers, been through the same thing, and we can trust him with everything. All right, bow your heads. Wow, Lord, almost, almost too much to take in. Teach us to pray. Teach us to have the concerns that you have. In light of what we're learning, surely we need more than a 30-second conversation. Surely we do. Continue to open our eyes and hearts to prayer. And Father, more than anything else, make us actually pray. In Jesus' name, amen.